Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. 610 Media acknowledges the traditional owners of the land on which this podcast was recorded the Gubby Gubby people, and we pay our respects to elders past, present, and future. A quick disclaimer before we start. Tear It Down is a podcast about all things mental health. Therefore, it may contain coarse language, adult themes, and subject matter that may be distressing to some listeners, such as suicide, self-harm, and references to drug and alcohol abuse. Please, listen at your own discretion. If you yourself are struggling, you can reach out to Lifeline on 131114. Well, g'day and welcome back to Tear It Down, tearing the stigma down around mental health, one story at a time. I'm Jamie Poltz and welcome back. Thank you for joining me. Today's guest is Sally Krill, the awakened mama. A few years ago, Sally was diagnosed with cancer. She's beaten it now, but it obviously rocked her world and changed her outlook. Sally is a registered nurse and she started a blog now called The Awakened Mama. And it's all about survivorship One of Sally's key messages is that your mental health directly impacts your physical health. And she encourages us all to take small steps each day to maintain our mental health. So welcome to the show, Sally. Thanks, Jamie. So we're doing things a bit different uh, this episode. Usually it's over the internet or Skype because people live remotely or live away from where I live. But today's guest, Sally, lives just a couple of streets away from me. So we're actually outside in the grass, uh, sitting on camping chairs, doing this interview. It's a wonderful Saturday morning and we've got the birds in the background. So yeah, it's a little bit different today. But uh, how, how's your Saturday morning been, Sally? My Saturday's pretty good, Jamie. How, does, how good does this get actually? I'm just thinking outside. I can actually hear the ocean. Yeah, we're, we're only... Probably 500 meters from the beach where we are. Um, but yeah, you can still hear the, the waves rolling in, crashing. And uh, Sally, for those obviously who don't know you, you are a registered nurse and a cancer survivor. So, what else would you tell people about yourself? So, uh, I am 41. I am a proud mama to two young men. Um, one is four, one is six. And as you said, Jamie, I'm a registered nurse. I've been nursing for over 20 years now, which is um, pretty fantastic. And at the age of 38, um, I had been to my GP with a little bit of abdominal cramping, a little bit of pain, a bit of bloating, and sort of just said, look, I think we need to um, perhaps do some tests, maybe check my bloods. I don't feel quite right. And my GP said, well... 
let's do some tests, including a colonoscopy. And um, probably about seven weeks later from that conversation, I was diagnosed with early bowel cancer. Yeah, so that's like the big C word, the word that the diagnosis that everyone's so terrified of. Like, what was that moment like? Yeah, it was, um, yeah, reflecting now, Jamie, it was really surreal. So I had a a missed call and a message on my phone from my GP and I was being asked to come into the GP practice and I think anyone knows who's been delivered any sort of bad news from a doctor. Um, Being called into the doctor's surgery is never a good sign. So I have to admit, I immediately knew um, that the results weren't going to be good. I'd had my colonoscopy on the Friday and I was being phoned that Monday and I uh, was at an appointment with my uh, young son. So I put both boys, one was 18 months and one was three years old, into the car, went straight down to the GP practice and said, I've had a phone call. I need to see the doctor. Yeah. Wow. And and so... Did they tell you what the treatment plan was going to be there or was it just like you have cancer and you need to go to a specialist or was the kind of left open for you to interpret? Yeah, it was um, a conversation which was, I'm sorry, you have cancer and we need to do tests and they need to happen now. And at that stage, um, because a colonoscopy will just uh, often show you that there is a cancer there but you won't know the severity of the cancer until a surgery is done. So from there, there was a series of more blood tests, um, CT scans, other types of tests, and a referral to a surgeon. Okay. So was your interpretation of that like, I'm going to be okay, or was it like, this could kill me, or what, what was the mood when you left that room? It was pretty horrifying Jamie I think because my two sons were there as well um, being in a small doctor's office being told that you have cancer watching your two young boys the first thing that comes into your mind is how am I going to manage this this can't be happening to me and what about my my family that was um, what was going through my mind and those were the words that I was actually saying to my GP this can't be happening I have two young boys how can I do this? And I think um, being a nurse is bittersweet. So lots of great advantages in terms of understanding the healthcare system, but all of the bad stories play through your mind. Yeah. And not being able to know in that moment, and I'm a person who I, I need to know immediately everything. Yeah, I'm, I'm the same. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like, tell me, doctor, how many um, days have I got? <laughs> yeah. Um, and, of course, you can't do that. And there is, you know, the first lesson of many um through a cancer experience the watch and wait you can't know everything in that moment and there is a period of surrender and acceptance yeah so what was the the treatment so you said you had surgery first up yeah so we um my husband and i were seeing us seeing my specialist um probably about 10 10 days or so later um actually yeah perhaps a little bit sooner, and the plan was to have the surgery. And at the time of sur- surgery, that's when they can tell the extent of the cancer. Um, and from there, after the surgery, they um, or at the time of sur- surgery, they'll take out some lymph nodes and they'll test those. And if those lymph nodes are positive, then you go on to have chemotherapy or radiation therapy, d- depending on what the, 
initial surgery shows, basically. So you must have been, like, terrified going into that surgery, just knowing after when you wake up they're going to tell you one way or another how bad it is. Yeah, I think um, the entire time, because my boys were so young, my whole focus was on the boys and I just felt that if I had the information then I could deal with the next steps. Mm. Um, I didn't really obsess about dying. Mm. I just wanted to get the plan going yeah. really. Those first few weeks is all about um, I sort of saw it as a project. What do I need to do to make this easier? Um, what do I? What paperwork do I need to do? What meals do I have to cook? Who do I need to notify? Insurance company, phone calls, those sorts of things. There's a whole lot of admin that goes on before you get into the surgery stage. So I didn't even think about that, eh? Yeah. It's like life goes on even though that's got to happen. You've still got to do all the admin and organise time off work or, you know, organise kids. And, yeah, it's didn't even think about that. Yeah, that was um, that was a huge learning curve for me. And, mm. you know, phoning the insurance companies, the work paperwork, as you've mentioned, um, talking to daycare, talking to family members. And I sort of liken it to, in some ways, um, when you're pregnant and you have to do all of this admin and you have to phone people and you've got an order of priority and who you let know. Yeah. And very early on for, for me it was obviously my um, husband, my parents, my sister, and then it goes your boss. And then yeah. it cancelling a hairdresser appointment. I had <laughs> yeah. to do that. Yeah. Um, you know, everything that you have to look ahead for the next sort of month or so and plan all of that mm. and then think, well, what do I need when I come out of hospital to make mm. my, my life a lot easier? And so what was the result after that surgery? Was it Had it spread or was it just... No, I've been really, really, really lucky. I've had an early bowel cancer, which means that the cancer was actually contained in the bowel and it hadn't gone through the wall um, of the muscle. So um, I've been so lucky because I acted on those early symptoms mm. um, and I had a really fantastic GP who picked up on those and recommended me for, early, for further testing. Um, we caught my cancer early, which is fantastic. So my entire cancer treatment has been um, a large part of the right side of my bowel has been removed. So that's about 20 centimetres of bowel where they've taken that out. Wow. So how does that – so I'll come back to some other points you made there, but how does that affect you now, like having 20 centimetres of your bowel taken? Is that that nothing or is that a lot? I don't know. Yeah, for me, and just keep keep in mind, I guess everyone's really different, but for me, um, I'm almost three years on now, which is great. But um, I have some minor food intolerances, but they yeah. really are pretty minor, Jamie. Like mm. everything that I've been through, it's um, a minor issue. Yeah. The first year was really rocky, so I had a lot of com- complications related to that surgery. So um, lots of just constant diarrhea, mm. weight loss, fatigue dizzy episodes, sort of passing out regularly, those sorts of things. Um, and that lasts for quite a while. So the good part of, you know, sort of eight or nine months. Yeah. But um, if you got that, if you didn't recognise those warning signs early, they'd probably have to take more of your bowel and then maybe chemo as well. So it just would get worse and worse, wouldn't oh, it? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, every day I do reflect on how lucky I've been absolutely mm. in chemotherapy Um, is quite a grueling regime, as is radiation therapy, and everyone responds a little bit differently. So 
so lucky now. What I sort of manage now is is nothing compared to having a functioning normal yeah. bowel that is cancer-free. So yeah. really grateful. That's good. And so what was your mental health like before all this happened? Were you pretty stable and no real issues? Yeah, I think um, I probably call myself a resilient person. Like I've had like a, a lot of, of us um, trials and challenges along the way. Um, I was thinking about this actually before um, coming to to your interview, Jamie, and in the lead up um, to my cancer diagnosis, I'd had quite an interesting year. I'm going to call it in- interesting, but I had um, 12 months prior, there was um, a really fantastic guy by the name of Chris who was cycling on our road and he collapsed in front of our house or not too far down from, from our house. Um, and my husband had called out to me to say, you need to go down there. Someone's had a, an accident being a nurse. Um, and as I was running down, I could see that he was grey immediately, that this man was not in a good con- condition. And yeah. by, by the time I had gotten to him, he didn't have a heart rate and he wasn't breathing. And he, what had ha- happened was he had um, a massive heart attack while cycling. So... Um, Myself and a couple of his friends who were in his cycling group resuscitated him at the scene. And we were probably there for, I'm going to say, 20 20 or so minutes before the ambulance arrived. So that's a really long time when you're on the side of a road um, And so you were just doing compressions? Yeah, yeah. Um, So I was doing the compressions, but what's was really fantastic there was um, that Chris has survived. He's fantastic wow. now and um, we're, we're actually quite good friends. He lives probably about 15 k's away from, from us. So That is amazing. Yeah. So that, that was sort of... Shit. So you've actually <laughs> recessed somebody. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess a lot of nurses or healthcare professionals will often be first responders in the co- community, which is great. Um, but that was sort of, I guess, the start of quite significant changes in my life Mm. and after that incident it did um replay on my mind a little bit yeah but then what actually happened was three months before my diagnosis um I was on my way to a course in in Brisbane and it was quite early in the morning and there was a young jogger who had run um I could see her coming out from the road and she'd run in front of a car and she was hit in front of me by the car. And again, I was the first responder on the scene and I was the only person there at that time. So seeing someone hit by a car and resuscitating someone with really traumatic injuries, um, she was alive at the scene but then went on to die in hospital. So I guess those two things leading into my diagnosis had... um, you know, challenged me quite a bit, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. So when that young lady, um, were you able to talk to her or was she unconscious? No, she had, um, I guess, what we describe as catastrophic head injuries and, no, she, she was unconscious the entire time, yeah. But obviously that would, yeah, no doubt would play on your mind and the adrenaline of it and the what-ifs and the hindsight thinking would obviously play into your head. Yeah, I think... Um, when you, it's very different for people when you're working in a hospital environment because when you put on the uniform and you would know this yourself, James, 
put on the, the uniform and you go into work, you're there, you're, you're prepared, you're expecting, and the environment can be a little bit more controlled in a hospital environment I'm comparing to. But out in the community, it's very different. Um, and I guess I didn't have so many what-ifs, but it was just when you see someone um, so young, she was very young, I had, you sort of put yourself sometimes in that situation mm. and think, wow, that could have been me. Mm. And I think as well, um, having young children, you know, I'd not long gone back to work after my second maternity leave, the challenges that go along with that, the fatigue, you know what it's like, Jamie, mm. not, not sleeping, yeah. <laughs> the yeah. kids are awake. I think Renee will have something to say about that, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> my wife. Yeah. She thinks I sleep eight hours a night, solid sleep, but you know. Oh, I disagree, but anyway, that's what she thinks. I have actually heard that. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's crazy because that would be, yeah, it's traumatic. Like, it would replay in your head. I can imagine that. And you know what? It takes balls. Well, pardon the pun. It takes courage to do what you did because I've seen uh, um, and I've rendered assistance to people in the public when I was a police officer, but I've also seen and heard people who have been witness to what you've witnessed and they just stand there and everyone just stands around watching the person lie there because no one knows what to do and they might have done a first aid course but one thing to learn it and it's another thing to actually do it and yeah that takes takes courage and confidence yeah i think there's um you know if you've heard of the fight or flight response so some people will will freeze um and it's not that some people of course it's not that they don't want to help it's just that they don't know how to help and for me i've been lucky enough to have you know long hospital training career i've worked in intensive care for a really long time i've been part of trauma responses so for me it's something that i inherently know and i'm really um happy to do that so i think it's also like people are scared to help in case they cause damage or make it worse and they're like they've they might be scared off by hearing about lawsuits that somebody (laughs) ruined them or didn't resuscitate them properly or broke ribs or whatever. I don't know, but I'm just saying people might. But we, do we, like, do you know this as a nurse, do we have, like, a good Samaritan law that we're supposed to help? Yeah, exactly. So, well, there's a good Samaritan uh, act that would cover you. Yeah. I think the key message really, I guess, Jamie, is for everyone, as you've just said, to do their first aid training and to do their CPR training Mm. um, is really, really important because if that is you or your loved one, you want someone in there helping that person to to survive yep. um, and giving them the best chance until the, the ambulance arrives. So if you can help, if you have that little bit of skill and knowledge, use it. And we should all have it, especially living on the Sunshine Coast because we've got oceans right here and we're always in the water and there's drownings or near drownings and there's like stingers and all that sort of thing that we all need to, to know how to deal with. So, yeah, we all need be first aid qualified and maintain a qualification. Yeah. yeah. So let's walk through your mental health afterwards, after your crazy two years, I suppose, the year of post-surgery and the year leading up to your diagnosis. What was it like for you? Did you have symptoms of what you thought was mental health or issues? Sorry. I think um, it's, it's hard to know what's normal and what's not normal. Mm. And... I was really lucky, I guess, in that I got some early psychology support. I just knew, um, obviously being a nurse, that 
the earlier that you can get proper psychology support, the better your outcome is going to be. So I tapped into that really early. And there were lots of challenges sort of in the first three months. I'd been back to hospital into the emergency department three times. And for me, at the time being 38, I was really frustrated that I wasn't getting better as fast as what I wanted to get better. I thought that by now I should be getting close to thinking about going back to work. I was frustrated that I was still being dizzy regularly, having to parent from the bed or from the lounge. I was having my children having to be looked after more in daycare than what um, I really wanted them to be because I just couldn't do it. Home was really stressful because my husband's trying to work, trying to parent, trying to take on my role plus his plus finish his study, he was studying at the time, you know, it was really, really challenging. And I got to the point, it was the third time I'd gone back to hospital and I actually had to get my friend to drive me because the ambulances on that day were going to take hours and I was at the GP practice and it was Remembrance Day and the GP had phoned the ambulance to say, Sally has to go back to hospital, but they said, well, it's going to take a couple of hours because it's Remembrance Day and we don't have anyone free. So I phoned a friend and I got her to take me and I said to her on the way, I have just realised that I'm more afraid of living and being a sick mum than what I am of dying. (sighs) And it was in that moment where it was quite a big wake-up call for me where I thought, something has got to change here I cannot keep doing what I'm doing because whatever I'm doing is just not working it's not working in that I'm needing to rest so often in that I can't control my symptoms of the nausea the dizziness the diarrhea it's not working that I can't spend time with my boys it's not working that the load on my husband is so great and I thought I've got to change something here wow so did you actually feel life wasn't worth living at that point? I felt that um, I really, really needed to see an improvement because I was really unsure of how many more months, weeks, years, because in that moment I didn't know how much longer I was going to be ill for. Yeah. And being so, in my mind, incapacitated, Um, just barely being able to do the drop-offs and pick-ups, a little bit of shopping, um, that that wasn't a quality of life. Mm. Um, And I was also acutely aware of the the drain and the burden that I I was, you know, that was my perception Mm. um, having on the family. And, you know, your mind starts to, you know, imagine and misconstruct and think, well, how long is this going to go on for? Am I going to have school-aged children and I'm that parent who just lays in bed all day or, you know, how is this going to work? So I was realising in that moment that I was making up stories. I was worrying about something that may or may not even happen. But at the same time, I had such a low function physically that I knew I had to make some really important changes. Mm. And so what did you do then? So um, I came back from hospital and I was, when I was in the emergency department, um, one of the senior medical staff came and said to me, Sally, I can't help you unless you sleep. Like you really, really have to sleep. 
and that for me was a real acknowledgement mm. of you know absolutely and I and I know this and I think that's really important as well for health professionals who are unwell um you're not thinking in that moment you're not obviously at that same capacity where you can give um where, where you would usually be giving other people or patients advice so you are very much in that patient mode and that's okay just accept that mm. so um I got home, I phoned my GP, I said I need um, support to sleep, I need extra daycare for the boys. Um, I got in contact with my mother's group who have been absolutely fantastic the whole time and I said, please, can you help me with some meals? Um, I had some colleagues at work who I also reached out to to say, I'm really struggling, can you help me? And I started to just delegate more mm. um, to help to take that load off me so that I could look at recovering Yeah, so you had to ask for help. I had to ask. Mm. And I think in the early stages when you receive a diagnosis or any trauma, um, people come out of the the woodwork. It's fantastic. People people say, how can I help you? What can I do? Mm. And in that moment, often you don't really know because it's the first few days of or first few weeks of where you are. But it's in the short to medium term and I don't think people realise that Jamie that Mm. whether it's an illness or a trauma but the effects can be longer term Mm. so I guess it's about spacing out that support or support being available in that short to medium term and you know I guess the other things that I did was I got in contact with Bowel Cancer Australia who have specialist uh, nutritionists and nurse and I said look this is what's going on for, for me is this normal? Because a lot of women in my cancer community were saying they had similar type symptoms, they were really struggling as well. So I thought, oh, well, this is just life, you know, I've just got to deal with it. But in me managing those symptoms and not being able to get on top of those, they were draining me physically, you know, I was becoming really thin, I couldn't digest food, you know, it was quite difficult and scary, losing a lot of muscle. And the advice that the Bowel Cancer Australia team gave me was absolutely fantastic. And they very quickly were able to get me uh, back on track to a point where I could start to manage some of my symptoms. My GP helped me with sleep. Uh, My community support team came in to help me as well to take off some of that load. But then I also, you know, I was aware that I was worrying about things that may or may not even happen. So Mm. that's that anxiety. Yeah. Um, I decided as well that I had to really take active steps in my mental health. I had to um, really take that ownership and that accountability and think, well, Sally, what you're doing right now is just not working for you. And that's a really good reflective question, I, I think, at any time yeah. for all of us. Yeah. Is this getting the, you the results? And, you know, it just wasn't. So just basic stuff, Jamie, like um, journaling, writing out daily gratitude lists, which mm. uh, I know it's a little bit cliche, but actually for me it has been life-changing. Yeah, right. Positive podcasts. Yeah. Um, just putting on music, you know, really mm. simple stuff. What can I do? What are these really small incremental steps that I can do that make me feel better and sustain it? It's like a, you know, like a training, like gym, yeah. like training for a marathon. You mm. just can't stop and start. You have to keep doing it.
The show will return after this quick break. Hey, everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash post. Exactly. And cancer or trauma is a marathon. It's not a sprint. Like, you know, it's not, it's like having a cold where it's only going to be a week. It's, you know, it's, it's a long-term thing. So you got to get in that mindset of, I'm, I'm going to be in this race for a while yeah. and I need to help myself or ask for help. And that people have a real hard time asking for help. Like, like you had to reach out to your friends and, and people and say, look, I need help. Can you make meals? Can you do whatever? Was that hard to do? It was hard to do. And I was also really cognizant, I guess, of the fact that, um, you know, straight after my diagnosis, you know, within the first week or so, we had a lot of people offering help as well. Yeah. Um, you know, sending us vouchers for our local favourite restaurant, you know, those sorts of really beautiful things. And you don't want to um, to reach out to people who have already been so fantastic to you, um, of which we're hugely grateful for. And there's also this pressure that you put on yourself where you think, why do I need this help? You know, I should be really... I should be doing much better. Mm. But, of course, I just wasn't. So that was the reality. And I had to come to that point of accepting that. And, yeah, asking for help is really hard. But also I had um, I had my children and my husband to think about. So when I was asking for support, it wasn't really just about me. It was about making life easier for, for my kids and for my husband and by taking some of those jobs off of me, um, it left me with that little bit more of capacity to do the nice things, which we were also missing out on. You know, life was very much, um, it was a chore. It was just getting through the bare to bare minimums. It was about getting through the tasks, lunch, daycare, dinner. Yeah. You know, that that's what our life had become because for, for me, I didn't really have a lot of capacity mm. to do the other things. What role did Bloom Hill cancer care play for you or was that after you got through cancer um so bloom hill are fantastic they are an amazing uh community cancer center up here in the sunshine coast and i reached out to bloom hill a couple of months after my diagnosis because i knew that we needed help and they were able to help me and and my family with things like um, the psychology support. So that's where we accessed our psychology through. Um, I was able to access acupuncture to help me to manage some of my nausea okay. symptoms. Um, they had an exercise physiologist who I had an appointment with. They um, also, which is really amazing, when I first met with them, um, they could see that we were really struggling um, just to do the basics. So they were able to provide us with some really great quality frozen meals for the boys. You know, that yeah. really practical support to help to see us through that early part of my recovery, but but also that sort of medium to longer term in terms of the psychology support. And so now you've 
become involved in Bloom Hill and you actually uh, are volunteering there? So I'm one of Bloom Hill Cancer Care's ambassadors and I um, help them with raising awareness about quality survivorship care. I help them with some of their media campaigns, for example, to, to raise awareness of the great work that they do. So it's a really great honour, Jamie, to be involved in such a fantastic not-for-profit organisation like Bloom Hill. Yeah, well, so you've been, you've been given support by them, so now you're giving back and paying it forward, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. And it's an honour, Jamie. It's, it's, um, it's a really great team and I, I really want to see them grow and evolve as well. And I'm really passionate about the work that they do with parents. So what are you doing now? I know you're into blog writing and you're writing a book and you're into survivorship and you've got a, an Instagram account uh, called The Awakened Mama Wellness. Tell us about that. So probably um, at the six-month mark into my recovery, I made a little bit of a pact with myself and a bit of a promise that I really wanted to help women and families just like me and us to help them to navigate their cancer and their recovery that little bit easier. So I decided that I would start to write, to share my experience, but also the experience of other women from our cancer community because I really find that um, those who've walked the path before really do have a lot of the, the answers. And when I was first diagnosed, I would scroll through Google trying to get some advice and look to see other stories and I couldn't find anyone like me. I could find um, stories of women who were palliative. Um, So lots of really, really sad stories but Mm. I couldn't find any stories of hope. I wasn't sure what to do in my cancer recovery, what steps to take, who to contact uh, in a really easy, digestible way Mm. without opening... 35 PDFs and 75 links. So I decided that I would um, make that journey as possible for women who were on their path or yet to walk their cancer path ahead of me. So I developed Awaken Mama Wellness. And so that's um, a site with blogs, as you've mentioned, on lots of, I guess, the invisible effects of cancer. So I talk about things like early onset menopause, parenting through cancer, how do you balance your role as a parent and a cancer patient at the same time. Um, We cover fertility issues, relationship issues, carer's strain for partners, all of these sorts of things that are really important in good survivorship care, nutrition, um, exercise that I guess we don't hear a lot about when we are in hospital because the focus of hospital is about the life-saving urgent treatment. Yeah, the immediate here and now. The here and now, which is obviously crucial and and we need that. But then what we also need is really good quality survivorship care to help the person and their family for the rest of their life. So I've started my blogs and my book uh, will be finished by the end of the year. I've been really uh, lucky in that I've um, secured a scholarship or a a um, sponsorship, I should say, through West Fund Health Insurance and they are helping me to publish my book, which is amazing. Yeah. And I've also started to coach women, Jamie, so helping women to navigate their cancer recovery and also for women who are really ready to get back into the workplace or to change careers and want that support to move forward with the next step of their life. So this has been like a really 
life-changing, well, obviously, but a positive life-changing experience in the in the long term, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's really um, cancer for a lot of people or any major trauma, of course, is a shake-up. It's a wake-up call and it's a time where you sit back and reflect and think, so what am I actually going to do now? What do I want to change in my life and where do I want to go and how do I need to, to do that? And if you pick up on that call mm. and if you take action, then you can have some really fantastic changes in your life. And has writing uh, and blogging and sharing other people's stories, has that always been a passion for you or is that something you've just recently discovered? I've, I've really been passionate about, um, I guess, writing for, for a long time and, and sharing stories. And I think, um, you know, being a nurse, when you look after patients and you are able to not only listen but hear what they're saying and advocate for them and to take those collective experiences from patients and to share that back to the healthcare team or share that back to specialist organisations and say, look, this is what patients are experiencing. You need to listen to what they're telling you because they've got the answers uh, has been something that's always been quite important to me. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's a it's it's a win win for for me. I can take my you know twenty years of nursing and my um, other skills that I have, as well as writing and working with people face to face to help them to have a better life. So it's great. So now you've got a purpose and what you're going to write about a bit more clear for you and a goal and a journey. And do you still keep a daily journal? I journal probably two or three times a week, and that's just sort of. Um, there's no sort of set process. It's just about whatever's in, in my mind. I'll just do a brain dump if, if you like, and that's about 10 minutes. Yeah. But the daily gratitude, um, that's something that is so important and that's literally 10 things I write out and it might be a repetitive thing. I do a lot of talking about where we live, Jamie, because we're so lucky here, a lot about my boys, the work that I have, and I'll repeat particular things and every few days something new will come come up and yeah just sitting there and feeling it so it's not just the act of writing it it's the sitting there and feeling it inside and thinking wow this is really amazing like actually being grateful not just saying it not just saying it so it's not just another job to tick off your list it's a I'm really feeling it and meditation is something that I've really brought in as well yeah I've just started that actually yeah what do you think I'm loving it. Yeah, I'm just doing like a 30-day intro course on that Calm app. Oh, yeah, that's really good. Yeah, it's like a 30-day, what's it called, introduction to to meditation or mindfulness. Mindfulness, yeah. Um, And so far I'm really liking it. I'm learning, you know, lots of stuff. And um, because I've I've heard people say like what you just said, how good it is, and also the gratitude thing. Like you hear people talk about it all the time, and I've never done it. I don't keep a journal, um, but – I thought, you know what, if everyone's harping on about it, I'm going to give it a go. And, yeah, I'm actually really enjoying meditation. And, uh, yeah, it's just like that. I learned about equanimity. Yeah. You know, that the guy who's doing the course is like, you know, it's kind of like being a mental ninja. You just, whatever happens, you just let it, you don't have to react crazily to it. It's just yeah, rolling with the punches, so to speak. Yeah, so so many great skills that, we can learn and harness and just bring into our everyday and it doesn't have to be hard it doesn't have to be a chore but if you sort of spent I would say half an hour each day 
even 15, 20 minutes each mm. day on your mental health, it it is absolutely life-changing. And I think coming to that place of um, acceptance is really, really important. It is what it is. Controlling what you can control, what's in your power, that accountability is so important because, Jamie, at the end of the day, we can only be responsible for our own thoughts and feelings. Yeah. And But we have to, I guess work at it like we've said you know like a, a marathon you know you can't just wake up one morning and expect to be able to run 20ks next week no it's it's not going to happen so gradually chip, chipping away way at it and a few days um a few steps forward and a couple back is going to happen as yeah. well and just being okay with that i also think that uh well for me anyway and a lot of other people might associate the word with meditation as sitting on a rug with your legs crossed with a crystal in your hand and like yeah. incense blowing around and like a big Buddha statue there. And they might go, yeah, it's a bit new age for me. I'm like, but it really is just muscle exercises for your brain, like brain exercises. Like, yeah. Yeah. That's how the guy explained it to me. Like it's just learning how to use your brain and focus. And yeah. So I think it's, it doesn't have to be, what some people do it can just be sitting in your room with earphones on and doing a guided meditation yeah i think um you can decide whichever way you want to do it is com- completely fine and you you mentioned um the calm app and there's also the, the smiling mind app the guided meditations are a really great way to start because yeah. if you're anything like me you know your mind will start going you'll start to think about the shopping list yeah 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 for dinner or whatever (laughs) yeah you know take take the pressure off and but just just keep going and have have a practice with it um walking in nature without shoes on you know feel it yeah basic sort of stuff yeah well something i learned in the first session was your home base i don't know if what you do is 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 got that involved but what it is is trying to focus on your home base and that's how you like so your mind will wander but then you bring your mind back to the home base and that could just be literally the feeling of your hands resting on your leg or the feeling of holding the mic right now and you just zone in on that and focus hardcore just on that feeling and really try and every time your mind wanders to the shopping list or your overgrown lawn (laughs) or the bindies in the yard you just got to bring it back to that feeling, that home base, and just like just see how long you can do that for, and like you go, your mind will wander, and you bring it back, yeah. and that's the exercise, that's your brain learning. Like the more you do it, the more you train yourself, and then that'll flow on through your life. Yeah, that that's such a great strategy, and I guess the idea is that once you've mastered that, you then apply that to your family life or your work life. So when things are getting tough, you're able to do that grounding, that centering, that home base. Yeah. Um, and find that happy place um, to take you away from the, the stress and trauma. And I guess, Jamie, in reality, this is all te- temporary, right? Yeah. Um, we're here for a short time. Let's do what we can to get the best experience. And I love that saying as well that meditate for 15 minutes each day unless you're, you're busy and then meditate for an hour a day. Yeah. <laughs> it's so true, isn't it? Yeah. You know, yeah. The more hectic your life is, the more time you need to take out and fill up your cup because you cannot pour from that empty cup. And we hear that all the time. Mm-hmm. But the 
we need to put those really great words and ideas into action to see those results. Exactly. And so how are you nowadays? Yeah, I'm, I'm doing really well, as you sort of pointed out with the Awakened Mama Wellness. Um, I have found a really important purpose and uh, I really appreciate what I, I would call as my second chance. Um, mm. So, but I'm human, like like mm. everyone else. Um, I can go off track as well and things can, can get tough, but um, I've learnt really important strategies to deal with my um, physical and mental health. Um, I appreciate my boys and my husband more than ever. And I probably would never say that I'm grateful for cancer, but what I would say is that I'm really grateful for the, the lessons and the wake-up call. So having that time period of a year of being unwell, you know, there's a lot of thinking time there. So I've, I was able to use that time to really set a really great foundation for my mental health by doing those things that we've talked about, um, which is an ongoing work in progress. So I'm, I'm really lucky, Jamie, and I'm coming up to my third year of cancer um, testing. So I'm about to go through a period where I go through my CT scan and bloods and we do a check for any re- recurrence. But I'm feeling really good about it. Um, I feel like we've caught the cancer early. And at the same time, if I was to have another health challenge, I feel like I'm in a much better place now than what I was earlier to cope to cope with those things. Um, so, yeah, I'm doing really well. Well, that's really good. And Sally, I really appreciate you giving us this time. And if you want to check out the Awakened Mama Wellness, I will put the link in the show notes. And also uh, when Sally does publish her book, uh, I'll chuck that in the show notes as well. Thanks so much, Jamie, for your time. Um, I really, really appreciate you uh, breaking down the walls, talking about the stuff that no one talks about and putting a really important spotlight on mental health and really, really appreciate you taking the time to listen to a cancer patient. So thank you. Oh, no, thank you. I appreciate you being so open and sharing your story and I'm sure people will get something out of it just like I did. Thank you. After I recorded with Sally, she told me a story that was pretty incredible. You remember that gentleman, Chris, who she gave CPR to after having a heart attack in front of her house? Well, it happened again. Here's Sally telling that story. Jamie, what is actually amazing about Chris, the cyclist, is that something similar happened again. It's so incredibly hard to believe. But it was probably about six months into my recovery and I was driving through a suburb near where we live and I was watching a group of cyclists who were travelling along a main road And I could see one of the cyclists actually had his head down. I thought that was a very strange way to be cycling. And a couple of seconds after I had that thought, I could see this man collide with pole. And I pulled over and ran down. And as I was running down, um, I looked at the group and one man looked up and said, oh my goodness, it is Sally. And it was actually Chris, who was the person who had been looking down and had collided with the pole and he was sitting up and talking. And there were actually some members there from his cycling group who were with us and helping me during his 
resuscitation uh, those months earlier. So it was really amazing. We had to take a photo because we knew that no one would believe us. And he uh, went on to make a full recovery and he's doing extremely well. And he's just such a fantastic man. He has a really lovely family. So it's a pretty unbelievable story. And um, I think we've had a both had a little think about um, what's actually going on there. And I think there's a lot of things in life that we can't actually explain, but there's cer- certainly a very special connection there. And um, yeah, I'm just really grateful to be a part of uh, Chris's life and some really fantastic stories that we can both share around the barbecue. What are the odds of that? Seriously, two heart attacks, one bloke, the same person as the first response in different locations. That's crazy. Anyway, that's pretty remarkable stuff. Sally seems to be the kind of person you want around. Just in case. Start writing down what you're grateful for. Tear It Down is a 610 Media production. A special thanks to Audio Technica and Zoom for supporting me throughout my podcast journey. The cover art was by my talented sister-in-law, Courtney Woods. Theme song, beat number three, by Bubba Beats. Follow us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify or wherever you are listening to this now. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Tear It Down Podcast and also at 610 Media Group. If you want to get in touch, you can head to 610mediagroup.com or send an email to info at 610mediagroup.com. That's S-I-X and the number 10. Cheers. If this episode has brought up any issues for you, please seek help. You can reach Lifeline at 131114.